Hello, welcome to Like What You Like. I'm your host, Blake Carell. Today, we're talking to Mitch Mead. If you have been following the show, Mitch's record opening act was on my honorable mentions list for 2022. So this is a talk that I am super excited to be having. Um, I couldn't end off 2022 without talking about opening act. Before we get into a little bit more information about the interview, kind of wanted to mention a couple of things. You probably just listened to the Catching Up episode we did of the missed songs from 2022. Those were kind of like reliving another life where I experienced an alternate universe of music. So I really recommend you check out that episode. Next week, we have an AMP, an AMP live radio show over on the AMP app. So I'll be promoting that throughout the week, but I hope I can catch you there. It's just going to be something that we're trying out. It's going to, we might do a soft run beforehand, but that will be a cool way to just kind of engage on a different platform. So I hope to see you there. And then the week after that, we've got another interview lined up and that's going to be with Cold God. And that was another one from my honorable mentions list, a record that I loved, a record from a really great friend of mine, Matt Wainwright. This will be the second time that Matt has been on the show. So I really recommend kind of maybe going back to that episode and seeing where Matt is now. They're going to the moon, Cold God. And we got the whole band for that episode. So got a couple of interviews here at the beginning of the year. We're going to be going to February with a lot of steam. So hope you're along for the ride. This talk with Mitch was really great. This is the, one of the first times that we actually got a chance, you know, to just sit down, me kind of ask him like how things are going, like where, you know, all the music that he's been writing, like where's the origin of that. We talk about his hometown, where these songs sort of developed and kind of all the little nooks and crannies, you know, those things that happen about over a decade of playing these songs. Take a listen to opening act after you're done with this episode. Um, I wanted to mention that we talk about Animoya a little bit. It might not be clear what that is during the course of our conversation. It's just a vintage store. <laughs> and by just, it is the best vintage store. And it's in Pilsen. It is a community space that we met at. Um, that's where I kind of discovered Mitch's music. Uh, so just so you're not lost when we're talking about Animoya, Mitch performs all across the city. So if you're in Chicago, make it a point to see Mitch when you're in town. You can follow him over at Mitch Mead Music on Instagram. He's posting some playlists. They are absolutely a vibe. I played his Christmas playlist at my family Christmas, and it was a winner. So... Follow Mitch for that and some more great tunes. Keep following us. Like what you like. We got our website, lwilmusic.com. You can check out our blog posts. We'll be writing some more there and maybe having some guest writers. Um, yeah. So that is that. This is my conversation with Mitch Mead. Yeah, so we met at the Animoya open mic in Pilsen. Yeah, I think we've we've gone over this story a couple of times, but uh, wouldn't hurt for everybody to know. Like, <laughs> um, how did you find Animoya? Like, are open mic something that you would typically do? 
No, I had, well, in my younger days, when I was in my 20s, I did more of that kind of stuff. I hadn't been in a, in a while. Um, it was kind of weird timing where, um, yeah, I, I was getting ready to do a festival in Wisconsin. It was a thing that I was supposed to do before the pandemic, like mm. 2020, which obviously canceled. And then they rescheduled it for like 2021. And um, yeah, I'd been kind of getting ready for that. And some, one of my wife's coworkers uh, knew somebody who was friends with Dan and was like, hey, there's this open mic thing that some people for work are going to. If you would want to come, you can probably get on the list. And I was like, I think from when I was younger, I, I got to a point where I did like a lot of open mics and mm. open mics are their own unique animal. Totally. And I like I hadn't done it in a long time, but I was like, Ah, eh, fuck it. I'll just do you know a couple songs just to get ready for this show. And it was it was, so I think I was there for the first one, and it was real. It was just real. It was like at that that moment where everyone was just so excited to be out doing stuff like that again, and we were still kind of like wearing masks and stuff. But it was just one of those like very just warm rooms of like everybody doing a lot of different kind of stuff. But like everybody was really supportive. Everyone was like yeah. real chatty afterwards. It was just like buzzing with energy because it was just it had been so long since. Mm -hmm since I had done anything on stage or in front of people. And I think everybody kind of felt that way. So, so yeah, for, for a while I was going to everyone that I could make it to. And Dan was super, super cool and supportive and fun and stuff. And, and, uh, it grew really fast too. That was what was kind of shocking to me about it. it. Like there was a decent crowd for the first one, which is rare. And then the second time, like the next month he did it again, it was like packed in there. So, Nice. We haven't really gotten a chance to get to know each other past like the music stuff that we've, you know, like been in the same rooms for. So like, I'm really interested, like where, where are you from? I grew up, uh, in, uh, Michigan. I grew up okay. like, uh, suburbs of Detroit area. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, went to college in Kalamazoo, Western Michigan. Okay. Um, and then I moved here. Yeah. After, after college. What's so. your, what's your, I mean, you don't have to say, but what's your hometown called? Uh, it's I, I was born in Warren. I mostly grew up in a town called uh, Clinton Township, uh -huh. which is a... <laughs> the official name of the town, I think, is the Charter Township of Clinton. You can't say that to anyone. It just sounds like a... It's, just like the, it's the worst. Give us a name. So, mm -hmm. so, but yeah, I did most of, most of my growing up there. Uh, and then Macomb, which is like the next town up. My parents moved when I was in high school. But okay, yeah. small town, Michigan. So just suburbs. Oh, it's, suburbs. Yeah, okay. it's like it's. Uh, I mean, it looks like every other suburb and every other. You know, every mm -hmm. every other city that's half an hour outside of a major city. You know what I mean? Uh, I've been to about six or seven different Clinton townships around Chicago that look exactly like the town I grew what up in. What do people so. do in in Clinton Township? Um, it's mostly. I mean, mostly like that area is people who are related in one way or another to the auto industry. Mm -hmm. I grew up around a lot of like, you know, like uh, engineer, like people who were engineers for one of the big three or people who like, you know, engineered parts for the big, you know, I have like my sister works for works for one of the big car companies. And so it's, it's all kind of like residual auto industry stuff for the most part. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, okay. You said you went to college in Kalamazoo. When did you, so you moved from your hometown, like how far away is Kalamazoo from? Uh, I think it's about three hours from, about three hours from Detroit, two and a half, three hours, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And when was that? Uh, I started, I started college in 2004. Yeah. Graduated high school in 04. So yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And then 
you must have graduated college in 08. I actually graduated early. Uh, I graduated in like December of 07. So I got, I finished like a semester early because I would take summer classes like every summer. Um, and then I had one summer I spent, um, in Connecticut doing theater. I got, uh, I got to do this thing as part of the like National Theater Institute's like school at um, the Eugene O'Neill Theater in Connecticut. So they have like a summer program that I was part of, and that kind of like that and like the summer classes kind of like I got a little bit of a head start on some credits, and so I got to like wrap up early. The the, the creative writing major is a kind of a light one in terms of credit hours, and so I uh, I, I sort of snuck out before the full four four years with a degree. So okay, so. I mean, I kind of want to talk about 08 and maybe where you were at, like, during maybe the recession and, yeah. like, just kind of the auto industry up in that part of the country. Like, were you in Michigan during that time? or were So, you- I I was there. I It basically happened right when I moved, you know, within the period when I was moving here. So, I, I graduated in 07. I had a couple of, like, plays being done uh, in... Uh, Kalamazoo so I didn't really like leave Kalamazoo until like the spring and then I went home and uh worked for a couple months to save up before I moved here (laughs) I was gonna wait until like the end of the year and uh I I got home I was like I'll probably move in like November you know October November I'll move in the fall and it got to be like mid-June and I was like I gotta get out of here I was like yeah just so anxious to get out of here this is 08 yeah this is a some yes summer of 08 so I moved here August of 08 and then the yeah the I don't know the exact date that all of that kind of stuff started. It's a little hazy now, but mm-hmm. it was that it was kind of that year that it okay. was all going nuts and um and it was definitely like it was definitely rough on I think like the Detroit area for sure. I mean Detroit went bankrupt a couple of years after that. The city did. Um but it was this you know, I was in this weird thing where I was like I was just a broke kid in Chicago working coffee shop jobs, like playing music. So it's like like I was sort of in this weird little like yeah youth you know bubble as like an adult out on my own kind of for the first time so um but yeah it was a strange time I remember working in like I worked uh, like a for this like chain of tea shops and we'd have people who would come in like like 45 50 year old guys like asking for job applications and stuff who were like yeah I'm an engineer I just can't find work right now and just like this is like such a weird it was such a weird time Mm -hmm. uh but again, I, I was kind of sheltered from it just because I was just so <laughs> wrapped up in my yeah, own kind of, stuff. Did you start performing immediately when, or were you performing like music around, like when you were in college, or? Yeah, a little bit. I, it's weird because I, f- I, um, I was performing at that time. I, I moved out here. Like the, I mean, the real, uh, my sort of mission statement was to come out here and do theater, um, and it kind of, I sort of was part of a company that I kind of helped start. Can you talk about Chicago as a theater town? Like as yeah. a destination for theater? I It's, yeah, it's, um, and I'm a little bit disconnected from it now. I have friends that are still kind of involved. I haven't been super involved for the last, the last number of years, but, um, but yeah, it was, uh, at that time it was like, it was seemed like the right kind of town for what we were, we wanted to do. Chicago has a good like storefront theater scene compared to some other cities, I think, um, or at least it did then. And, and, um, you know, we kind of had this kind of group of people that we had been sort of making stuff in college together. And it was a big debate of like, whether we wanted to go to like New York or Chicago. 
And for the one thing, we were we were all from Michigan, so it was a little bit closer. But like New York is such a huge animal, and I felt like our feeling at the time, whether this was accurate or not, is that we, I think to kind of build a following in New York, we had this feeling that we would have to either be like the most traditional thing on the block and do it really well, or be like the absolute weirdest thing on the block. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of neither of that. We were sort of like, we wanted to do all original plays, which is a thing that's like, in some places doesn't doesn't go, but Chicago was a little more receptive to like new works. And, uh, you know, we were like a little bit abstract, but we weren't like full on experimental, you know, theater, avant-garde kind of stuff. So, um, but it was cool. I mean, we had some friends who had gotten here a little before us who were working in some of the big theaters. So they kind of knew um, some of the people in the industry and stuff. So we had like people come in to review our shows, like from the reader and stuff like that, like right away, which, you know, at the time felt huge to us because we were all like, you know, 22, 23 or whatever. So, um, but it was fun. It was, it was fun. Like we, we kind of got to work right away. We found a theater that we could kind of afford to put stuff on during the week. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was a fun time. Yeah, and so tracking back a little bit, you were performing music around the same time, or were you focusing on writing? Yeah, it was it was doing a little bit of both. Yeah. I I um I I started playing music when I first got here. I, I moved out here that like summer, like August of '08. But it was like some of the like kind of core people weren't here yet because everyone kind of had to like either finish school or had to like kind of save up enough to kind of get out here. So there was like. I don't know, maybe a six month period. I forget how long exactly where I was kind of antsy to start doing stuff, but we didn't have like kind of the crew in place to start like really like developing shows. And I was writing stuff, but I was just getting kind of like anxious to get up and do things. And so I started kind of just seeking out places I could get up and get on stage, like little showcases and open mics and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so f- I, I kind of did start doing that. I was like, oh, this will be fun to do while I'm waiting. Cause I had always played music along with it. I think I just never really took myself super seriously as a musician or songwriter when I was younger. I played with, in college a bit and stuff, and that's where I kind of started writing songs. So I had, like, material, but uh, I was still real green, you know. Yeah. Aaron told me that you were self-taught. Mostly, yeah. Okay. I mean, I took I took lessons, I would, I took lessons, you know, for two or three months at a time, here, like maybe two or three different little stints, but... Um, I mostly mostly taught myself. Okay, what instrument were you taking lessons on? Uh, well, I, my first the first instrument I tried to learn was the drums, because uh, I could kind of just the basic rhythm I could kind of get. My dad had bought a drum set at one point, and I, like I could play well enough to keep the tempo behind like somebody. And I met some friends in school that like played guitar and bass, and so we had like a little band that we would just jam in the basement basically, uh-huh. um, but. You know, when it got, we would be playing in like our parents' basements, and so when they would be like, "All right, it's enough. We got to, we got to shut the noise down," we'd still kind of want to jam. So my friend Steve uh, would just like let me play his acoustic and just taught me like GCD, so I could just play rhythms and he could practice leads and stuff like that. And so, um, and that was the one I really kind of took to guitar more. It took a long time because I just could not. I would take lessons, and I just could not get sight reading to work for my brain. I just could not, I just could not get the reading music mm-hmm. thing to make sense for me. And I was just way too impatient. Yeah. I'm the same. Like, I think I took a couple of lessons. Like I started with guitar and then I, I was like, this is way too hard. Maybe I'll play bass and then took bass lessons. Yeah. And the bass teacher, like he was, um, 
he played bass for Peter Frampton. Oh, wow. So I was kind of starstruck. Not that I was a huge <laughs> Peter Frampton yeah. fan as a kid, but hearing that he Just was to part know somebody of a that, band. To know somebody that like played with somebody that you know of, that was like such a huge thing. And yeah. I was making him like teach me uh, tool songs. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and yeah. metalcore and all the heavy shit that I was into at the time. Um, but yeah, I, I think lessons can be frustrating, especially... Yeah, it was just, it was a, and I really did want to get better at it, but I, I think I just didn't have the, that attention span at that time. I was like, at that age where it was like, I just couldn't kind of like sit still. And I had, my first guitar teacher did a thing where we would have like, it would be like an hour lesson and for 45 minutes we'd like work through the book and mm -hmm. do these exercises and all that stuff. And his thing was like the last 15 minutes, it's like bring in a CD of any song you want to learn and I'll do my best to like you know, figure out the chords and I can give you that to work on. So I only looked forward to the last 15 minutes. Yeah. What were time. you bringing in? Oh my God. It's probably <laughs> like embarrassing shit now. This was like, this is like probably the, it was like the mid nineties, 97, 98 maybe. So I think, I honestly think the first one I brought in was Eagle Eye Cherries Save Tonight. Nice. Uh, I remember bringing in like Sugar Ray and, uh, Stuff, stuff like that that was like just on the radio. This is before I like discovered indie music existed, and right. but, uh, you know it was just like whatever songs on the radio. The boom of that. Jimmy's Chicken like, Shack. I remember I brought that in and had him teach me that one song off that record. Okay, uh, so anyway, kind of uh, top forty rock is that kind of where Sugar Ray was or alternative? Yeah, well, or? yeah, kind of. I, I mean, the, the weird thing is like if you like that first record of theirs, it's like basically. I don't know what classification of like metal you would call it. It was just very, very hard rock stuff. And the only poppy song on it was the like, uh, I just want to fly. And of course that blew up on the radio right. and someone threw some like top 40 money at them. And they're like, well, we have a new formula. And so like all the other stuff was very poppy yeah, after that. I can kind of see the, the string that you could tie to like incubus with, sure. with, uh, yeah, band, that band. Yeah. That makes sense. Mark McGrath. Um, but that's like that, you know, I was in like middle school and it's like, we didn't, the internet was starting to be around, but it, this is where I probably sound like the old guy on your podcast, but it was like the internet wasn't the primary way of acquiring music at that time. Still, it was kind of all we really had what was what was like on the radio, unless somebody gave you like a burned CD or a mixtape, something cooler. And, um, so in middle school, it was just whatever I could get on like the local rock station which was not not that great um it's a very romantic period for music as somebody who's a little bit younger than you are yeah i, I feel like all the bands that i listen to or the artists that i like talk about music in this way what was on k-rock in california yeah kazaa yeah oh yeah i remember that yeah. yeah having like misattributed songs <laughs> yeah 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 i remember that yeah <laughs> Yeah, that was so fun. Yeah, I remember like the days of, I mean, I remember like Napster, like when Napster came around and it was <laughs> like this thing of like, like you just felt like the cops were going to bust in the door at any moment and just like arrest you for like downloading a Rage Against the Machine album that would take you three days to download. Um, yeah. But yeah, that like, you know, eventually like the internet took over and that opened up a lot of things. And even a little bit before that, I like... I had cooler, older cousins who were into cooler stuff. And so, like, right. my cousin Joe kind of turned me on to, like, you know, I had no concept of what indie rock was. I thought all rock music existed on the, the format of that one radio station and that all the radio stations were playing the same thing everywhere. And mm -hmm. then 
yeah, he was the one that kind of like introduced me to like you know cooler stuff. So okay, like yeah, indie heavier music maybe or uh, at that time it, the stuff the first stuff that he kind of like showed me that I really latched onto was like I remember like the Get Up Kids mm. and like Jawbreaker and Jets to Brazil, uh, like the Promise Ring and Braid okay. and stuff like that. Cool. So like that that era of like. That, whatever emo meant at that moment, yeah. I feel like it's that definition. Did any changed. of that attract you to Chicago? Because a yeah. lot of that movement is sort of holed up here. It it did for sure. I, I like, yeah. I remember kind of noticing. It's so funny now because now people kind of I think refer to that kind of period as like Midwest emo, mm-hmm. and we, I, like no one really said though like that term that I remember. But I do remember going like, yeah, it's a lot of it's like. Kansas City, Milwaukee, Chicago, and like a lot of the bands came from Chicago, like Alkaline Trio and um, yeah, and Braid and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did because I would see, I would, you know, once we did have the internet and I could learn about this stuff and then just read everything I could online about them, then it was always like I would look at everybody's tour schedule and it was always like they were always playing like Fireside or the Metro and Empty Bottle, so I had an idea of these places in my head, like I knew they were notable. so yeah, that that kind of stuff was always in the back of my similar story for me and a couple of my friends. Yeah, with with that uh, generation of musicians, mm-hmm. I think it's still kind of reverberating right now. And you have bands like American Football, who yeah, yeah, you know, kind of took that huge hiatus and kind of came back with the internet and have this resurgence here of younger fans. Yeah, too. So I think there's kind of something that is pervading across age. Gaps that is that regard. yeah that's such a weird thing because I remember like being a teenager and hearing all that stuff and a lot of these bands didn't feel that much I mean they felt older than me obviously but it's like mm-hmm. you know if I'm 15 or whatever hearing this and they're like 25 and out on the road and stuff that like it didn't feel like that huge of a gap and then you get a little bit older and those bands all kind of fade into obscurity and then it's kind of like you're right like this like certain age of kids kind of finds it again and then it, they're sort of back doing like it's 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 interesting to watch that cycle happen over the course of like a bunch of years yeah uh, i kind of wanted to shift gears again uh what what were you writing about like theater wise were you acting or were you um were your <laughs> plays kind of around a central subject matter um not any one specific thing necessarily i i never did too much acting i i would do there was a very like um all hands on deck kind of thing around like that kind of theater so i would like diy in a way yeah so it's like somebody was putting on a show and they needed someone to read stage directions and i would do that kind of thing or somebody would do a stage reading of a new script and so i would like i would do a stage in hand thing like that that was about as much acting as i ever did of just like being a guy on stage reading um but yeah i don't know i don't know that they necessarily had like a consistent theme. I think like, like one theme that I would say was probably consistent was just like nostalgia. I was like really into like the past and memory. And I was also like looking at it now, I was really interested in like genre. Like I did one play that was like an adaptation of an old, like Louis L'Amour Western novel. Um, and then the first show I, uh, wrote when I was in Chicago was like a film noir thing. So I was like, I would get kind of like really obsessed by a genre and then mm-hmm. kind of try and break that down and 
find like weird kind of, you know, dark humor, funny, weird ways to approach it from the inside and stuff. Um, but yeah, just like nostalgia is interesting. That was always interesting to me mm-hmm. of like how your memories aren't always like accurate of the things that you remember. And so, yeah, but I was sort of just, you know, figuring it out. I don't know. When I look back at the whole theater era, like, you know, it felt like a bunch of years when I was in it, but look, looking back at it, it was, it was like, you know, my four years of college and then like, you know, the, you know, the first two or two years, three years or whatever that I was here. Yeah. It's kind of a sort of self-contained thing. It wasn't a super long period of time. I, I, I um, so yeah, I, the theme of whatever I got done during that period is, you know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I think one of the reasons I wanted to kind of fold that into our conversation was because there's a lot of storytelling in your songs and I think it makes its way through, through specificity on certain elements of Chicago or your own performance. Sure. How do you like see like that early performance period? Cause I feel like some of these songs have been around for a bit on this newest release. A few of them. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird mix of like newer stuff and older stuff. Yeah. Um, you mean like how do how does like the storytelling aspect of it play into it? Yeah. Like, I mean, do you feel that connection between your theater background and your songs or does it feel distinct in your own in these writing styles? I get I guess in kind of an abstract way. It, it's um it's funny because like people have said that to me before about like you know, about like the songs being kind of story songs and I think I always I never feel 100% comfortable with that only because like when I think of story songs I think of like like Harry Chapin, you know what I mean? Or like, uh, like Gordon Lightfoot, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, this, I'm, I'm definitely not writing like the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald necessarily, but I I think that like studying theater and like, you know, getting really deep into that, I think the kind of theater that I was interested in was always like, you know, a lot of it was like nonlinear or like vignette kind of stuff and not like this happens and then this happens. There's not like the traditional arc. So you think a lot about like what does a beginning, middle and end look like if you're not telling like a linear story and it just kind of like this abstract sense of like, you know, how do you tell a story without necessarily telling all the parts of a story? And I think that always appealed to me. And so I, I that's kind of, I guess, how I would see some of these songs. Like you don't necessarily know by the end of the song, what happens to the, the character or whoever is the speaker in that song. Mm-hmm. But you, I think I'm always trying to make it so that there's like, you feel like there's some kind of an arc to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that, is that something that presents itself over the course of writing or you kind of have yeah. a thesis? Yeah. Most of the time. It, yeah. Most, most of the time. I mean, they come together in different ways. Some of them come together. Like you have the idea and then they come kind of like, they're sort of fully formed almost immediately, at least in terms of like the concept. Mm-hmm. Other ones just kind of like you just chip away at it and eventually you kind of figure out where it feels like it's going. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard to say cause it's a weird thing like, you know, what makes you edit something out or when something feels finished, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the Nile is one, it was like a thing that I chipped away at for like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And I ended up going with like mostly just what came out the first, like the, you know, it's, it's like, I think there were more verses at one point, if you can imagine, cause that song's already so long, but like, um, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's a, it's a weird, 
it's a weird thing. It's hard to define like when something feels like it's feels like it's done. And it, and I'm like the worst. Uh, people are always like, "What's that song about?" And I'm always just like, "Man, I don't know." Yeah, there's I, a couple you know. of stories in there. Right? Yeah, there's Anna and Wolfie, and then there's yeah um, for the couple at the beginning too, right? Yeah, it's that's one. I mean, that's like that's one of those ones. I think it was just like kind of a composite of just loosely based on a bunch of different nights and different people and and uh, mm-hmm. just kind of like a period of time more than anything. There's this like blurry period of time in your like twenties, and I wrote that kind of as it right as it sort of felt like I was kind of coming out of that. You know, my first couple of years here when you're like, you know, I moved here at like twenty two. I had no responsibilities. I was single. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you like it's just a very like blurry time where you're always going and doing something. It's just like, and a lot of nights coming home, you know, <laughs> very fuzzy on the train and not remembering everything that happened clearly the next yeah. day. And you know, this kind of like whirlwind. And then that was like, I wrote that song. I was like, I think I was maybe 25 or something like that when I was kind of starting to like step back and like look at it like I was the people I was like living with were a little bit younger than me and it was the first time I started to feel like I was a little bit older than that crowd yeah. it was like uh they would have these parties and I'm like I think I'm the old guy here now you know and so it was like that was sort of like that song was kind of just the weird perspective of going from being like a participant in the story to being like an observer um so like yeah at the end of it it's like whoever is telling the story is just like seeing these kids like like he's about to get off and that story is going to continue and you mm-hmm. don't know where it goes necessarily. So. And that that's on the 2011 release. Yeah, that was Bandcamp. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That one uh I had just written it around that time right before that. Mm-hmm. Um and uh yeah, it it was I debated about whether to put that on again. That was like I think it was kind of um honestly I think it was for like all the people that saw me do that for a bunch of years in between because it was like because uh, you put the Nile on opening act. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I should say. That's what we're talking. Yeah, it's um, that was like you know for years and years was like my closer because it's like you can't do that. <laughs> I learned you can't do that at the beginning and you can't do that in the middle because it's just such a animal. And usually my voice in the old days, especially my voice would be like dead by the time I got to the end of that song. So it was like my closer for a long time, and it just kind of felt appropriate to close this one out with it. Right. For whatever reason, I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted I, we 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 don't have to stay on this too long, but uh, <laughs> for uh, like fight on oh the yeah. first uh, those first three songs are so and I watched your uh, like song a day thing <laughs> yeah I, yeah I don't know if there's yeah. the same amount of energy on the record as there is on those like past compositions that you've done like you're yelling it's probably on a lot yeah I was yeah of yeah those. Uh, I mean, where did that come from? Is that uh, it? Because it, it works really well, and I think for the song like "Fight," especially yeah. <laughs> kind of like calling out somebody's window and like you know having somebody come out and like you know yeah. kick their ass or something. <laughs> that was yeah. That's such a God, that's such so funny that was so long ago. It feels like uh, I mean, part of my voice in those days was I think I think that was how I. I don't know. I was just kind of the way I was into singing at that time. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I, I was into like pushing my voice to kind of the limit. I liked like with an amp or whatever, where you kind of push the signal just to the point where it breaks up. I think I used to kind of think of my voice that way and I would write stuff like in, intentionally write stuff that was kind of at the top of my range so that I would have to kind of like 
throw my voice up there to hit it and then it would kind of break up and that felt very like cool and authentic. I, for one, I mean, I, I wasn't very responsible about taking care of my voice in those days and I was a heavy smoker at that time. And so it got hard to just even like do that. Like when you're kind of yelling a lot, it really takes a lot out of you. That's where like the honey bear came from. I don't know if I talked about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I used to like, I was such a piece of shit. I used to like, you know, you're supposed to take care of your voice as a singer and like, you know, save it for the stage or whatever. But I would be like drinking and smoking beforehand and I'd have friends that would come and we'd be like in a loud bar. So I'm yelling over the sound of the bar to like talk to everybody before. So by the time I got on stage, my voice was already like pretty, pretty well uh, past its prime. So I would just have honey pour down my throat in between songs just to like kind of like smooth things out. It's so stupid. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think over time it just for one, I, it, I think as I got older, I lost the like energy for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I also like, you know, I quit smoking and so my voice got a little bit better. And now it's like I'm kind of more interested in how to sort of be like nimble in the range where it's like that's a little more like yeah. comfortable you know what I mean and it's also like you know since I'm like a lot better I'm smarter about it about like taking care of it now you know I can kind of I can kind of sing actually in a higher like a broader range than I used to it's just not the like in the screamo kind of way where I'm going to blow my vocal cords out you know what I mean yeah, because you break into your falsetto on the record, and I mean, you break, you do it live too. I mean, it's really a great. Bit, yeah, that's why I love bit. "Love Is Crazy" so much. That's such a oh, thank you a beautiful song, um, and a moment on the record similar to uh, "Ride Home," where it just kind of, yeah. you know, I, the story of "Love Is Crazy" is crazy as well. So, <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> kudos to you for it's it's weird because people have asked me like, "What's the story about that one?" And that one came about like really. Uh, it's weird. It was one of those hooks that I had sort of like the hook for that. It like, and I had the, just the phrase love is crazy for a while. Like I kind of knew what I wanted the chorus to do. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote it during when I was doing like uh, the April song a day project. And it just kind of like popped out. Um, <laughs> I think I had that sort of love is crazy hook in my head, but it's so not in my nature to like write a love song. I just, I just like for some reason just, allergic to sweetness I think Mm -hmm. in that way or that kind of sweetness and something about like love is crazy being ironic being like said by two kind of deluded guys who like they really believe that but it's like from the outside you can go yeah but it like (laughs) is it though you know Um, but yeah there's it's like it's not a it's weird, like, that kind of storytelling, which is, like, people are like, so what happens to that guy? And I'm like, mm. I, I don't really know. I don't really know where that guy comes from or whatever. It's just, like, it's, like, two guys who I think they are very convinced they feel this specific thing. And, like, you can kind of sympathize with them j- as far as that goes. But when you look at the broader thing of, like, mm-hmm. this one guy's chasing a girl across the country who clearly doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And then the other one is, like, trying to justify dating someone who is way too young to be with um yeah i don't know it's weird it's weird i think it's like there's probably a weird dark element to that song but it's like i always like that thing of like you have to sort of wrestle with that idea in your head of like you know if that guy wrote a love song there's not there's nothing saying it couldn't be a very sweet love song too you know so Mm -hmm. that's interesting i don't know is there um any ambitions to tell those stories in other ways 
like with music videos or any type of I don't know. Like, I haven't really gotten there yeah. with it yet, you know. Um I sort of I I don't know. I kind of like and it's not like an intentional choice to like be vague about it mm-hmm. necessarily. It's not like I'm there's a bigger story that like I'm keeping to myself necessarily. I think it's just you get to a point where you're like it feels like there's a story here that's interesting to me. And that's kind of as far as like, like a, a weird thing happens where it's like, I don't think I have anything I can really add or take away from this now. And that's kind of when it feels like it's like ready to float on its own, you know? So I don't, I don't know. I mean, not to say that I wouldn't do some kind of a music video in the future, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I don't know with, the, with those ones. I, yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah. We'll have to see. Awesome, man. Um, uh, I think you found a really interesting niche, like performing. I mean, we, we kind of run in the same circles yeah. of like performing on like non-traditional shows. Um, and I think the storytelling element of your song kind of makes, there's kind of something to latch onto rather than I feel like my songs are like severely just about my like personal stuff and I wouldn't like, say I mean I've seen you do really well in front of those crowds too yeah uh, but I, I kind of know what you mean it, yeah and and yeah I mean that's been a that was a very unexpected sort of uh thing that's happened this year that I'm very happy about um because I you know I like love comedy I've always loved mm-hmm. comedy I've always loved like sketch comedy and and stand up and stuff like that but I'm definitely not you know I def would never call myself a comedian <laughs> If there's, if there's anything that funny happens in a set, it's just a defense mechanism in between songs because it's like I can't lose the audience. I got to like mm-hmm. babble and say something that holds them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's been really fun. Like I think, I, th- I do think that like on some of the stuff that like we've done, like these variety show things, like I think audiences that are there to watch improv or are there to watch sketch are kind of there to pay attention. Mm-hmm. So I think like if I come up, it's not necessarily maybe what they thought they were coming to see, but like, you know, for whatever, you know, whatever storytelling element there is to the songs, it's like, it does seem like those people are like receptive to, to like following along with, you know, the story and stuff. Yeah. That's, That's, I mean, that gets a little bit about like opening acts, like as a concept and on the record to like, I think comedy shows and variety shows, you're right. They have more of a penchant for the unexpected and what's coming next. Right. Cause yeah. you could come up and do something and, but with music crowds it's a little bit different and you've been, yeah. you've been playing shows for a long time in the city and opening up. And I kind of wanted to like, if we, if we could like shift into like a segment of like, what's the best way to like open a show like <laughs> kind of thing from like, chi- to... from like Chicago's opening act. But like, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, cause I, you, you've, you have like proven that you're, you're much more than that, like in your performances. Oh, but like, I you. think you've, uh, you know, you've summed it up so well in, in one song, you know, I think <laughs> you, you felt like the burn of, you know, getting up there and nobody giving a shit or like getting everybody's attention, like a kindergarten teacher, yeah, something. yeah. I, I well, thank you for saying that. That's very sweet of you. I mean, I, I'm still opening shows, so we'll we'll see if it if it ever goes beyond that. But uh, that was a song that, like, you know, I feel like I felt like I earned the, at least the right to <laughs> at least the right to like write that song. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. The best way to open a show, I think that, I, I think that, um, it's a hard one to answer because every show is kind of different. I think it's sort of like being able to like read the crowd and read the energy in the room is like what I would say is the biggest thing. Like, um, and also kind of try, trying to set yourself up for success in terms of like, just in terms of the kind of shows you book, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I used to have this thing, you know, when I was in my like 20s and I was beating the pavement a lot, you know, and, and trying to book out anything I could book. And I would book some of these shows where I look back and I'm like, yeah, it'll be fine to open for this metal band. I can't see why that would go wrong. And in my, my back of my head, it's like, if I just go up there and I just give it my all, I can win over yeah, any it's, crowd. It's music, and like, right? Yeah. Like, people will love good music. Right. right? And, and like, to some extent, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, and every once in a while you do a show like that and you have one or two guys that like comes over and there's like, hey, that was cool. But it's kind of just like knowing the room and knowing like, yeah, this crowd is here to like fucking party and like my little sad drinking songs are probably not going to be like what gets them. Um, you know, I think that's that's a big part of it. But also just being able to kind of like, just being able to kind of read the room. Like sometimes I'll have like a loose set list and if I'm starting out with something that's kind of like lower energy and I can tell that like I'm going to really need to get them if I'm going to have any chance of holding them, then I'll like switch gears and try and do something like... Um, I used to have a trick that I would do when I would play like bar shows and you have that thing where like the show is going to start, but nobody really announces you. They just shut the music off and people are still kind of like chatting and no one's even aware that you're on stage. I had heard Andrew Bird in an interview one time talk about, because he does that insane whistle, that he would just hold a really, really long, loud whistle for like a comically long time. To where people go like, where the hell is that coming from? And then they start looking around and then they're like, oh, there's a guy. And then like once they kind of look over, he would be like, then it's like, then you go into it. And then they're like, you've sort of like tricked them into paying attention. So I heard that and I started doing that like with the harmonica. Mm-hmm. And like it weirdly d- would kind of work. Like you just kind of like stick with that thing long enough that people start getting annoyed. And then when they turn, I'd go like, hey, I'm the Shmeed. And then like <laughs> launch into it. Um, but yeah, I... I think the bigger thing, and maybe this is like, maybe this goes back to theater and just thinking about the show and the the feel of a show or whatever. It's just kind of like knowing what kind of show it is, knowing kind of what the audience is there for, knowing who's coming up after you and you know what I mean? Um, so like these comedy shows and stuff, if it's like a storytellery kind of show where I know I can kind of get into some of the like, you know, some of the more like introspective stuff and they're, they're like, they've listened to people telling stories. I can kind of like go deeper into that. But if it's like, I got a tight 10 minutes to get a couple laughs before like a standup comes on, then I'll try and like, you know, tailor it to that. But I still, it's not like I have it all figured out. I still have shows that I'll come out and <laughs> pick the wrong song mm-hmm. to start with. And then the energy kind of dies and you got to try and get it back again. Um, but yeah, that's why the, the comedy ones are fun. Cause they're up there. Like they want to laugh. They're like, you know, they're like looking forward to like, their attention being paid paid off so yeah absolutely that's that's awesome uh speaking of funny funny things i was i watched the um september i found this funny uh song a day and giada de Laurentiis 
came out. <laughs> you a big Food Network guy? You like I think cooking? I was at that time. Uh, I think it was playing in the background. Was oh, I t- uh, well, yeah, that, I yeah. would love to say that was accidental. I timed that. No, I was. Yeah, that was such a funny thing. We should. I should say it for, if people don't know this, this was like a. I've twice done this project where I wrote a song a day for a month, and this was back in 2011, I think, or 2000, September of 2010, something like that. Um, oh, that was in 2010? It was like 2010, okay. yeah, because then I, a couple of those songs were on that EP that I did in like end of 2010, and then I went on a little tour with that stuff in 11. Yeah, so it had to be September okay. of 2010. Did you do it during the pandemic at all? I guess I was under the impression that you... Yeah, did I did. So in, in April, I did it again. It was... I realized it was like 2021. It was 10 years. Or 2020 was 10 years. Yeah. 10 years since. So I had been... Kind of had it in the back of my head because mm. it was really... Re- it's an exhausting project, but it was really rewarding. And so I always thought about doing it again, but was like, do I have a whole month I can devote to this? And I had had it in the back of my head that... I was going to maybe try it in September of 2020 as like a 10 year thing. And then the pandemic happened in March Yeah, and I was like, you know, two weeks into it, it was April. And I'm like, well, I can't think of a better time to <laughs> sit at home and write songs all day than being stuck here anyway. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah, you asked me about Jada <laughs> and I went off on a <laughs> tangent. No, that's perfect. Uh, man. No, that was just, I, I, at that time <laughs> it's like, you know, you're just struggling to come up with ideas. And I was working like a, late night call center job at that time and uh so I would or no that was even before that that was I I, it was when I was still working for the coffee shops because I would close all the time and I would wake up and it's like you got to go back down at like four so you know you get home at midnight or whatever and you're up until whatever hour and then you go to bed and then you wake up at 10 a.m and you got to just kill four or five hours so I would just it was one of the channels we had and Jada was always (laughs) was always on and I just like at some point was like she was cl- the most attractive of the Food Network hosts at that time. And so, uh, She yeah. was always on in our house, too. Like, yeah. yeah. They call, like, Food Network, like, food porn and shit. That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, still, it's the weirdest <laughs> thing. I feel I, like it's one of the weirder, like, American it's such a, it's so It's so weird and so bizarre. But, yeah. <laughs> I think my wife still, because I did all that right before I met. Aaron, I think she still has an animosity toward Jada because no she way. saw the, when she met me, she watched all those videos. And I think she still, every time she comes on screen, she's like, she's not that attractive. She's not that good looking. No. It's like, right. yeah. I, I mean, in, in digging through those, I was like, you know, there's some familiar themes in there. Like, I think you have a very deep infatuation with the red line <laughs> which, yeah, yeah um i mean were you taking that to work or yeah yeah i i lived i like yeah i lived on the red line it felt like in yeah. those days because i lived up in rogers park and, I and for those who don't know the red line is like the main like one of like the busiest train lines in chicago it goes from north yeah. to south and and it's like yeah it's 24 hours it's also a hub for like the craziest shit you've the ever craziest, seen craziest yeah yeah, that the number of nights, <laughs> the the crazy stuff I've seen coming home on the red line at like super late hours is just like that's the kind of thing where you think about it like the next day and you're like, did that really happen? Yeah, did it's that like a fever dream. Yeah, like I literally carry just a loose bag of bologna on the train and just give it out to people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, the red line comes up a lot. I think with that kind of project you know, you're just mining whatever you can to come up with an idea. Sure. And, you know, and I've always kind of like 
you know, come up with ideas when I'm in on my way to or from work or whatever. It's just the stuff you're around every day. Yeah. And, and that was like the phase of my life. I was taking the CTA, you know, multiple times a day, every day. So it's just like, yeah, you just kind of feel like you're living there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that was definitely part of it. And I think I was interested in like, it's like part of the romance of Chicago. I feel like. Yeah. Is. And I always liked that, like songwriters that would, where you could kind of feel the location just in the, in the like atmosphere of the song, like in the world of the song. And I like, I think that can become kind of an affectation like to, to some extent or like people will write a song where they'll like, I don't know where it, when it doesn't feel organic, it feels kind of like affected. But if it's just like, you know, you don't have to tell the whole history of the red line. If you just like, if it just kind of lives in the, in the story, if the characters in the, in I the song, I've totally been there, dude. Like, yeah. yeah. Like the characters in the, in the story live in this place. So that's like the reality of it. And mm-hmm. I, I like that. I like when I listen to like the weaker thans and you'll just catch little, just bits of, I don't necessarily know what their, you know, what their bus line is like, but just reference to it, I just you, it takes you there like you imagine what it must be like on a cold bus in Winnipeg, you know what I mean? Um, exactly. I like that kind of thing. And I was I think I was interested in once I settled into that project after I got over like the first terrified couple of days of it. I'm like this is just kind of like a weird time capsule of of being in Chicago and and this particular month and this year and mm-hmm. whatever. So. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, shifting gears to, like, kind of the present and the the records out and yeah. all these songs, you, you've talked about it kind of, like, tell me, like, if this isn't a correct, like, summation of it, but kind of, like, honoring sort of the people who have kind of come up with you and, like, seen these songs. Like, have they wanted, have people wanted you to release these or, like, or... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, this is, like, I mean, my whole, like, journey to getting this that sounds so cheesy but the whole like path to this record coming out I mean took a lot longer than it should have but there was a long break where I kind of wasn't really sort of active in it but yeah there was a very a very um a very sweet and very dedicated group of like friends who were always like you got to put that out you got to put this stuff out and so I, I that was kind of always in the back of my head of like it would be a real tragedy if some of this stuff didn't get recorded at some point just so that like the people who came to the sh- those shows like all those years when I was younger and you know always like encouraged me to like get back out and do it again uh I that was like that was a big motivation behind it of like it would be awesome to like be able to just have just for them to have like some good quality recordings of that stuff <laughs> that they can that they can uh that they can hear you know yeah um, um. I love the story of the record too I feel like it's very like the sequencing of it like I think we've kind of I think if people kind of take a listen to the record, like moving to the city in the fall, like <laughs> is the first song and kind of, that's kind of why I wanted to start there with you is, do you feel like there is that through line through the record? Yeah. Yes. And no. I mean, it, it, I think at one time, I think I, I think I really was thinking, I mean, this is probably the, like the playwright part of me coming back up again, where it's like, I always want to feel like there's a, a thread to mm-hmm. it. And I think I thought of it more as not necessarily a concept record, but more as like a very specific thematic kind of thing. Um, and I kind of got away from that a little bit just because it was like, it felt like I was trying to force that to kind of happen. And then I ended up sort of choosing for this, like 
it got to a point where I was like, I could wait until I have the songs that exactly fit this theme, right. or I could just kind of do the ones that I'm like having the most fun playing right now. Mm-hmm. And and I kind of I kind of shifted to that. But there, I think there is there's obviously like themes too. Yeah, I'm, I think songs. I'm sorry to like cut no, you off, good. but like the like I think there are definitely songs that are in conversation with each other like tell me if i'm wrong but like opening act and like moving to the city there's like yeah that sort of ambition and then kind of opening act yeah goes yeah. through that like walk down lincoln avenue yeah yeah um yeah moving to the city is like that one yeah i think those two specifically i think you're right because it's kind of like moving to the city is like somebody from back home looking at somebody's like whole story and then opening act is sort of like somebody living it you know and they're not i don't necessarily think of them as like the same characters or Mm -hmm. part of the same you know the same world or whatever but i do think that those experiences definitely uh yeah are definitely connected in some Mm -hmm. in some way there's like the reality of like what you tell people from home versus like you know what you're actually like because people go like, oh, you're in Chicago playing music, and like they have one idea of what that means, and it's like the reality is it's like, you know, sometimes it's very different from that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and you got the reader nomination hopefully coming up soon. I I, I don't know. If, I mean, we'll see what happens with that. I I, I beat the drum for that, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm always so like uncomfortable asking people to like kind of go to bat for me, but it's just more just like. I feel like if that were to get nominated, it'll get in front of some ears, you know, that it wouldn't otherwise and stuff. I, I, I really don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how that, uh, how that stuff all works, but mm-hmm. it was the first time like that I had s- enough stuff out there to where I could kind of like, Hey, there's nominating records and I have a record. So yeah. here's, here's a chance if you want to help me out in some little small way. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But. Yeah. Have Have you had any like surprising encounters with people during shows playing these songs? Like maybe newer fans. Yeah. I mean, it's all kind of surprising to me. I mean, it's it's weird because I like I just wasn't doing a lot for for so long. I kind of you know I sort of at one point kind of thought this playing music thing was kind of behind me, uh, and you know. So just the fact that people are coming to see, you know, I mean, I'm still at the very beginning of this and I'm still, you know, I'm still, you know, pretty unknown, but, uh, just to get the reaction, like to do these kind of things that like, you know, the kind of stuff that we've been doing, these Mm -hmm. variety shows and these kind of like things and just to kind of get response from people is just, it feels so, so good that it's kind of landing, you know, does this feel like the start of more music and more releases in the future? Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i having a lot of fun with it, and and uh, I don't know exactly what's next. I definitely want... I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point now, it's like the whole cycle of, like, the record comes out, and then there's, like, a while where it felt like I was playing all the songs from the record and trying to kind of promote that. Now I'm starting to think ahead of, like, you know, what might work for the next one, because there's stuff I didn't do on this one that, you know, was kind of borderline stuff that I decided against there was stuff that was not quite finished and um it seems for me to go in like different phases there's a phase where I'm performing a lot where I'm writing a little bit less and then there's phases where I'm like not out doing shows as much but then I'll write a bunch of songs in like a two or three month period and um but I'm I'm getting Nancy to kind of get back to writing more stuff it's kind of why <laughs> you've seen me do some recently like some ones that 
aren't on the record, but ones that I'm kind of working on. And when I was, when I was younger, that was always the most exciting thing. Cause I, there just felt like there were no stakes. I would get, I would play at like Lily's, you know, and I knew there was going to be eight people there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why not? Just like, I wrote something this morning. Why not see if it, see if it works. And, um, and like, it's been a little bit more of that, like lately since I've, not that I, I I love all the songs from the record and I'm having fun playing them and stuff and I'm glad that people are liking them. But just for me, I have to kind of like at least have one or two things in a set that I if I that I don't totally know are gonna work. I think for it to be like for there to feel like there's stakes because I never want to feel like I'm like sleeping through it, you know. Yeah. Um, and I I I'm getting to the point where yeah I'm getting antsy to try and yeah just get back to the the writing and finish some of this new stuff. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to hear it, man. (laughs) Opening act has been uh, like, it was one of my favorite records of last year. And I'm I'm so, I feel so lucky to know you and I don't want to blow so much smoke. No, no, thank you. And I have to thank you. I mean, you've been like such a huge supporter since we've met of like, there's, there's a bunch of shows that you turned me on to or people that like you introduced to me that ended up leading to shows I got to do and stuff. So yeah, dude. yeah you've been a, a huge, a huge ally and I definitely appreciate it. And yeah, I love listen, what you're doing. Listen too. up. Okay. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But thanks again for coming on Mitch. Of course. Uh, everybody man. should check out opening act um, and catch you in Chicago if they're ever around or when your national tour eventually comes. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> <do so. laughs> thanks so much for having me. All right, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah.